Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make him known. The Old Testament lesson for today is from 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 1 through 11 and 41 through 50. This can be found on page 282 of your pew Bible. In this description of the encounter between David and Goliath, we see David overcome the giant enemy without sword or spear, but instead by God's sovereign power. A reading from 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning with the first verse. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sokah, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between, between Sokah and Azekah in Ephesdamin. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the, in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the of a Phil, of the Philistines, a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with, the coat of, with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spears head weighed 600 shekels of iron and his shield barrier went before him his shield bearer went before him he stood and shouted on the to the ranks of Israel why have you come out to draw up for battle am i not a philistine and are you not servants of Saul choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me if he is able to fight with me and kill me then we will be your servants But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. The reading continues on page 284 at verse 41. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you should come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, 
and that all his, this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly, quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. It was my first week of graduate school and I was sitting at one of the round tables inside the dining hall with a number of other students. And the topic of pluralism came up. And there were many opinions stated from the students around the table, giving credence to the idea that all religions are valid, all different ways to God, and the various religions were being championed around the table. But there was one student who was sitting there at the table with me, and he rather sheepishly offered a different kind of opinion. He said, I think the God of the Bible is the one true God. I think the God of Israel is God of the whole earth. Well, his opinion wasn't very popular around that table. But is he right? That's actually the question that was on the minds of many people in the ancient world. The Philistines had their gods. The Assyrians had theirs. The Egyptians had many gods. The Romans and the Greeks had a whole pantheon of deities. And yet the nation of Israel comes onto the scene, like that student at the table in my graduate school dining hall, with the audacious claim that their God is the God of the whole earth, that the God of Israel is the God of the whole world, that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the creator, redeemer, and sustainer of the whole universe. Were they right? And if so, how would they prove that they were right about their claim? That's what really what today's scripture is about, at least according to David, when he's about to kill Goliath, this is what he says. Look at verse 46, the last part of 46 with me, as he's taunting Goliath. What does he say? I'm going to do this that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. The victory that David would claim over Goliath would prove that the God of Israel is the God of the whole earth. But how he got there will surprise us, as we'll see as we dig into this a little bit today. And how he proved that the God of Israel is the God of the whole earth is the same way that we can still prove it today. We think pluralism is a new thing, but it's not. And we can look to the Bible for how to show the world that our God is the God. So let's look in this story together. If you've already put your Bible away, I would encourage you to take it out because we're going to look at a few verses in between the portions of Scripture that Riley read for us 
to get some more of the meat of the story. It's 1 Samuel chapter 17. You got the setup from the scripture reading. The Philistine army is on one ridge of a mountain. The Israelite army is on another ridge. And their biggest, tallest dude, Goliath, is their champion, their representative warrior, and he's taunting the army of Israel. Let's pick up the story in 1 Samuel 17, verse 4. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. There are more details in the next couple of verses about what he was wearing. I'm not going to go into all of those details except to say this. The original hearers of this story wouldn't have just been hearing measurements and types of metal. They would have been sensing symbols. I'll give you a modern example. If I told you that there was a boxing match, an epic boxing match between two fighters, and the one fighter in the one ring was wearing boxing gloves that had 50 stars and 13 stripes on them, and the boxer in the other corner was wearing boxing gloves that had a hammer and sickle on them. What would you know this is a symbolic fight about or between? Go ahead, call it out. The United States and Russia. I didn't say that. All I told you was the 50 stars and 13 stripes and the hammer and sickle. You knew what it meant. In the same way, the original hearers of this story, when they heard these measurements of Goliath, they would have known these are symbols of the enemy of the people of God. So we might begin to wonder then, what's on the boxing gloves of the other guy? We'll get to that. But so far in the story, everyone would have known these measurements of Goliath were symbols that he, this was the enemy of the people of God. Now, Goliath is giving an invitation. We pick up the story in verse 10. The Philistine, that's Goliath, said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Give me a man. Now, he's the tallest guy in all of Philistine. Okay, Goliath is. And he's taunting the people of Israel. And he says, give me a man to come fight representative warfare with me. Now, everybody in Israel knew something. They knew something about King Saul. In 1 Samuel 9, verse 2, it tells us that King Saul is the tallest man in Israel. He's taller by a whole head length of everybody else in Israel. So the tallest guy of the Philistines comes out, and he says, okay, give me your guy. Give me a man. And everybody would have been looking around, and who's the one who's a head taller than the rest of the people in the army? Saul, you're up. Let's go. Do you have what it takes? Verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They're shaking in their boots. Even the tallest guy, even the guy who should come out and be the champion to prove once and for all that the God of Israel is the God of the whole earth to put this Philistine and his false God in his place. Is Saul up for the task? Nope. Now the story shifts here. It's as if the film director changes scenes. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, 
the camera shifts all the way back to where a young shepherd boy named David is still at his father's ranch, his father Jesse. Let's find out what he's doing in verse 17. Jesse said to David, his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Jesse says to David, the eighth of his eight sons, the young shepherd boy, probably the smallest one, in some sense the runt of the litter. His older brothers are dressed for battle. They're the warriors. They're standing alongside King Saul, ready for battle or not so ready for battle, as we learn. And Jesse says to the runt of the litter, to little David, he says, run along, will you? Bring some lunch to the real fighters. Bring some cheeses and some bread to the front lines. Go ahead and do this errand for me, will you, David? Well, David arrives at the front lines, but he hears the taunts of what? This Philistine is saying as well. And David has been called a man after God's own heart. And David hears that not only are the people of God being insulted by this false God representative, but David is offended on behalf of God himself. And so he goes to King Saul and he says, none of you are fighting this guy? Are you hearing what he's saying? Put me in, coach. I'll go fight him. I'm summarizing parts of the story here, but look what he says in verse uh, 36 now. David is trying to convince Saul that he's up to the task. Your servant, he's talking about himself, has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. What did David understand that the rest of these guys quivering in their boots did not? David understood what was at stake here, the reputation of the God of Israel. And David believes in the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, because he has seen that very same God win battles through him before. As a shepherd boy, he faced lions and bears. And when those lions and bears came towards his flock, David said, Lord, deliver me, deliver my flock. And the Lord's strength was channeled through David and he killed the lions and he killed the bears. He believed in the power of Almighty God to defeat the enemies of the flock. And so when he came out to the battle lines that day on an errand for his dad, he said, our flock is in danger once again. God, if you are the one true God, will you prove to all the earth that you are more powerful, that you are more true, that you are more real than all of these false gods? Will you use me, Lord, once again to prove your power and your might? Now something rather ridiculous happens next. David knows the power that he needs to go and defeat Goliath. He needs the faithfulness of God. But Saul isn't quite getting it yet. So Saul equips him in his armor, verse 38. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. Can you picture it? Saul, the tallest guy in all of Israel, taller by a head length than the next tallest guy. David, the runt of the litter, the eighth son of eight sons. 
Saul says, you're going to need my armor. And David puts on his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go. You ever picture, you ever see a little kid put on his dad's business suit and try to walk? This is even more ridiculous than that. For he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. The point of this part of the story is that we're supposed to see how ridiculous David looks. Trying to fight the enemy on the enemy's terms. Remember that. What does David do instead? What kind of armor does David need? He knows. Verse 40. He took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook, from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. Five smooth stones. Just like a moment ago when I said 50 stars and 13 stripes, you all knew exactly what I was talking about. In the same way, the hearers of this story in Israel would have known exactly what five smooth stones represented. The first five books of the Bible are called the Torah or the Pentateuch. This is the word of God. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The number five would have been glaringly obvious to the original hearers of this story. David was relying on the faithful word of the God of the whole earth. Why are they smooth stones? Because the word of God is timeless, made more beautiful with every passing century. All these trends, all these gods, all this pluralistic worldview, all of these cultural tides come and go like water over a stone in a riverbed, making the timeless word of God appear even more beautiful by the day and by the generation. As all of the silliness of culture ebbs and flows and changes, the beauty of the five smooth stones of God's word shines. David is signaling to everybody that what he needs is the faithful word of God to defeat this enemy. He's not going to fight Goliath on Goliath's terms in that ridiculous-looking armor. No, he has access to a better power, the faithfulness of God through his word. That's the surprise in the text. I'm always looking when I study Scripture. I'm looking for where's the surprise here. And the surprise in this story is that David goes armed for battle against all of the weapons this world can offer. And he's only carrying with him five smooth stones. He's only carrying with him a reliance upon the idea that the God of Israel is the one true God who will, through his faithful word, through his power, defeat anything that might come against him. Back to verse 46. David's taunting Goliath that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That's the message of this story for the watching world, for the Philistines, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Romans, the Greeks, the Babylonians, that all the world may know when Goliath dies today, with these five smooth stones, everyone in the world will know that the God of Israel is the one true God of all the earth. That's the message for outside. 
But David has a message for the insiders as well. He has a message for the people quivering in their boots, thinking they have no power against Goliath. What does he say? That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. Are you listening, army of Saul? We will beat the enemies of God not on their terms, not with sword and spear, not by arming ourselves, but with the five smooth stones of God's faithful word. That's how we will defeat the enemies of the people of God. Now, I have to be honest with you, I've been anxious, I've been a little bit nervous about this sermon all week because of really what it implies. What it implies for us in a pluralistic world. The reason I've been feeling anxious about this sermon is because I hear from so many people, and if there's a common criticism of my preaching, it's this, it's Nathan why don't you talk more about the culture wars out there? Don't you know the battles we're facing in this culture? I come to church and I don't feel like you're arming me for the culture wars. I hear that. And I think this story is a really good response to that fever, that itch to go out and fight the battles, to go out and fight the culture wars. We have to fight for our kids. We have to fight for our schools. We have to take our country back. Well, all that may be true. But when we try to fight the enemy on his terms, we look ridiculous like David in Saul's armor. When you come to church, listen, I'm doing my best to equip you with the five smooth stones of God's word. It's what it's, I'm in my lane when I'm preaching the word of God to you, okay? I don't even know what that equipment would look like, what some people are asking for, trying to get me involved in political messaging and all that. I find it ridiculous, and I find this beautiful. You might be thinking, it's a little naive, it's a little weak. Some people might have wondered about David walking down into that valley with no armor on. Just a belief that the God of Israel is the one true God. Just the five smooth stones of the faithfulness of God's word. Some people were probably pretty nervous for him. And some people might look at a Bible-preaching church and think it's weak, it's anemic, it doesn't really fight the battles out there. Well, Scripture is pretty consistent that this actually is our weapon. And I want to get a little bit more practical now. In the New Testament, the people were living in tremendous culture wars. You think we face culture wars. Try living in the Roman Empire as an early Christian. And I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 6 with me. The Apostle Paul knew that his listeners, his congregation, needed to be equipped for battle to fight the culture wars of pluralism and secularism. And what did the Apostle Paul instruct his followers and us 
to arm themselves with. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Listen to this, people of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord. That's what David was doing. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Did you hear that? The enemies of the church, they're not people to be destroyed. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the same evil presence that was fueling Goliath to taunt the people of God is still active today, and he's taunting the people of God now. How will we face him? Not with sword and spear. This present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Isn't this interesting? The Bible's saying, you're preparing for battle. Put on this armor, including the gospel of peace. We're bringing peace to the battle. Isn't that fascinating? The gospel of peace. The gospel is that Jesus Christ died in our place, defeating the greatest enemy any of us will ever face, way worse than Goliath. And he defeated him. And he's, he, 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 he then ended the war. See? He finished it. He was victorious. That brings peace. That's our message, the gospel of peace that we can bring to a warring world. In all circumstances, verse 16, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. We have the message of salvation. It's why we're going to Stanford and spending all that money. It's because we have the message of salvation that we want to share with people. And listen to this last line. The sword of the Spirit, which is the five smooth stones of the Word of God. We hear the Word of God from the pulpit. We study the Word of God in our life groups. We have a five-minute podcast every morning. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. Come, people, I know there's a battle out there. Pick up the five smooth stones. It's what will defeat the enemy, nothing else. Notice the very last detail. Just in case we missed it, the very last detail that the Bible writer gives us, the last verse that Riley read, there was no sword in David's hand. It's like a slow zoom in of the camera. Did you see Goliath just got defeated? How did he get defeated? Not with sword and spear. Did you miss it? Look at David's hand. There's no sword or spear in his hand. He defeated Goliath with the word of God. Now, this whole sermon, I've been positioning us in the position of David. Isn't that how we normally read Bible stories? Clearly, I'm the protagonist in this story. That's how we're tempted to read it. But really, ultimately, 
if we're being honest, if this whole story is a metaphor, let me just put it personally. If I'm being honest, I'm probably not David that day. I'm probably one of the soldiers standing on the sidelines, shaking in my boots. And that's the way the New Testament describes our need for a champion, for a representative warrior, for a savior. The whole story is really a picture, it's a metaphor pointing to Jesus. Because the great enemy of our souls has come out from his ranks and he's taunting us. The great enemy of our souls is Satan himself. And Jesus came along, not looking very impressive by the world's standards, just like David. And he said, I will take on this enemy for them. I will do something for them that they cannot do for themselves. And so Jesus went to battle against Satan and sin. And he defeated them both for us. Now, how did he do it? He could have, if he wanted to, gotten a bigger army than the Roman army. He could have used sword and spear. He could have rolled tanks down the streets of Jerusalem. Like David, he used the word of God. When Jesus met the devil out in the wilderness and the devil was tempting him, Jesus was hungry for 40 days, not eating any food or bread. He was fasting and the devil came along and he said, you know, you're a miracle worker, right? You could turn that stone into a loaf of bread. And what did Jesus do? He quoted from the five smooth stones. Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And the devil fled. You see, even Jesus used the five smooth stones to defeat Satan. And on the day that Jesus was beaten and brought to the cross and died, Scripture was coming off his lips. He, too, was using the five smooth stones when he took on Satan on the cross, when he took on death on the cross, when he took on sin on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22. Then he looked around at the people who were killing him. And he said, Father, forgive them. And he was fulfilling what it said in Isaiah 53, where it said the Savior would make intercessions for his transgressors. The living word, Jesus, has defeated our Goliath. And when he invites us into battle, he asks us to do the very same means that David used and that Jesus used. Nothing else None of the ridiculous culture wars that we get tempted to buy into. But the word of God. Satan has been defeated. Jesus will come again. And in the meantime, we arm ourselves with this. Amen. Amen. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.